Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ephesians chapter number three tonight. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to cover nine verses tonight. I know it's, it's probably one of my records there. Um, but what I'm actually going to do, uh, I'm actually going to walk through these nine verses, kind of give a brief synopsis of what they are. And at the end of the, the lesson tonight, I want to go back over them and kind of give the application of it all. Because uh, there's a great application I really want to make that kind of really uh, dives deeper into that. And I really could have taken two, three, four weeks on these nine verses, but one thing I didn't want to do is to get very repetitive, as could happen with that. So we're going to try to cover these nine verses. So let me go ahead and read them, and then we'll kind of walk through them here in just a few minutes. Let's go ahead and start. Verse number one of chapter number three. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Then the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. I pray that you be with us tonight for the next few minutes as we study your word and walk through these verses and, and really just see the amazing truths that Paul is trying to reveal to this church at Ephesus, the Gentiles, and really the application that we can make for us in the 21st century as Christians today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just focus for the next few minutes, pay attention to your word. And Lord, I'm so thankful for what you've taught me in and through this study and what you've even taught me in the past few days as I've been digging into chapter number three. Lord, I love you and thank you again for who you are, and I pray that you'd help us all to find our identity in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump into it. So if you give a outline of this chapter, uh, go ahead and write this down. If you want to give a brief outline of the entire chapter, here's the outline. First of all, a purpose, verse number one. He's running back there to get it up there for you. A purpose, verse number one. Uh, verses 2 through 13, a parenthesis or parentheses or however you want to say it. And then verses 14 through 21, a prayer. So what Paul is actually doing here in chapter 3, now remember chapters and verse breakdown is not inspired of God. This was given uh, centuries later after it was written to kind of make more sense of it for us to be able to understand it a little bit better uh, and just be able to um, just make a, a smoother flow. But when, when Paul is getting to this portion of a letter, He's starting to pray for them. But before he prays, now I know I've done this before as a preacher. It's kind of like, you know, when preachers say in closing and then 45 minutes later they actually close. 
so I thought, you know, from me from now on, I'm just going to start my messages in closing. So then when I finish 45 minutes later, we'll be good. But in a sense, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. Because you notice in verse number one, so he says, for this cause, but he doesn't give the verb for what he's doing. But then we go down to verse number 14, we see the cause, the reason for which he's writing here, where he says, for this cause, I, what? I bow my knees unto the Lord. So what he's doing here is he's praying. So Paul is giving a purpose here. And then we have the parenthesis, in a sense, verses 2 through 13. It's kind of helping them understand a little bit of what he's talking about. And he's talking about the mysteries of God and mysteries of Christ, which is an amazing study in and through that. And then he finally gets to the prayer in verses 14 through 21. Now, I want to quickly go over this. I don't have this up here uh, for you tonight, uh, but I just want to share this quickly. So Ephesians chapter 1, ver- or sorry, not 1 verse, uh, but Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3 are all about our identity in Christ. And this is an amazing thing. I can print this off for you guys if you want it. But Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is all about our identity in Christ. And it's all about, really, it's very doctrinal. Now, there's a lot of times where uh, even preachers and even sometimes when we read the scriptures, it's very easy for us to almost skip through chapters 1 through 3. Because a lot of our focus, a lot of times, tends to be chapters 4, 5, and 6. You know, you think of especially chapter 6, you know, putting on the whole armor of God. And a lot of uh, devotion is spent in those passages. But we can't skip over chapters 1 through 3 because they are very important. As I said, very doctrinally important. And again, it's understanding who we are in Christ. Now, if you want to give a comparison, chapter 1 through 3 verses, or through or comparison to chapter 4 through 6, uh, here's a, a brief synopsis. Chapter 1 through 3 is about our spiritual wealth. Chapter 4 through 6 is about our spiritual walk. Chapter 1 through 3 is about the position of the believer, whereas 4 through 6 is the practice of the believers. 1 through 3 is how God sees us in Christ. And then 4 through 6, the world should see Christ in us. So again, it's making the application of everything that we learn, everything that Paul taught in chapters 1 through 3. Chapter 1 through 3 is privileges of the believer versus responsibilities of the believer. That's why I can't wait to get to chapter 4 through 6. Uh, 1 through 3 is about knowing your resources or riches in Christ. And then it's about living by faith in light of our resources. Uh, 1 through 3 is about our work of Christ, whereas 4 through 6 is the walk of the Christian. 1 through 3 is about theology, whereas 4 through 6 is more of ethics. 1 through 3 is identity. 4 through 6 is responsibility. 1 through 3 is who you are in Christ. 4 through 6 is whose you are in Christ. And again, I'll, I'll print this off and give it to you. And it's, it's a great just understanding of the comparison, the contrast between the two. But let's go ahead and walk through these nine verses and then we'll make the application tonight. Uh, starting in verse number one, as we see here, where Paul says, for this cause, as I just mentioned just a minute ago, so what he's doing here is he's starting off his prayer for this cause or for this reason. And he doesn't actually get to the prayer until verse number 14. But in this paragraph of verses 2 through 13, what we see here is Paul is explaining a situation of the mystery of the church. Now, this isn't some like mystery where it's just all mysterious and eerie and all that kind of stuff. That's not what mystery means when you study it in God's Word. In the New Testament, we've talked about this in other chapters and books before, but in the New Testament, a mystery is not something eerie or inscrutable, but rather a truth that was hidden by God in time past and now revealed to those who are in His family. So a mystery is this. I think I have these blanks for your, in your notes. A mystery is a sacred secret 
a sacred secret that is unknown to unbelievers, but then understood and treasured by the people of God. So what Paul is doing here is he is explaining the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the church that God has revealed to him. Paul was an apostle. There were certain things that God revealed to Paul, not for his sake only, but why did God reveal certain things to Paul? It's a pretty simple answer. Anybody? Why did God reveal certain things to Paul? Yeah, that's a simple answer. So he could teach it to us. So he could teach it to the Gentiles. So he could teach it to the, uh, the churches that he was establishing and writing to. So again, when, when God had revealed something, that mystery, that sacred secret, it wasn't so Paul could be like, hey, I know this sacred secret. I know a secret. You guys don't know it. He gave it to him so that he could reveal it to us. And I'm thankful that, that Paul has chosen to, to reveal those mysteries, those secrets to us. And we'll talk about this, this secret uh, here in just a minute. But when Paul is explaining this mystery, the Gentile believers are now united with Jewish believers in one body. We talked about that in chapter 2. Remember, there was that wall of division, right? There was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this was going on for, for centuries because the Jews thought they were more superior than the Gentiles. But when Christ came back, He came, when He died on the cross and rose again victoriously, He came to break down that wall of separation. And He came to re- or help people realize that He didn't just die for one, He died for all. He died for all mankind. And that's really what this mystery is about that has been revealed to Paul and he's trying to reveal to the, uh, the church at Ephesus, the Gentiles and the Jews, that Christ came to bring about peace. He came to bring about unity, to unify the Jews and the Gentiles. And it's an amazing thing. Um, uh, we continue on, verse 1b, as it says there in your notes, where he goes, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, In many of his letters, you'll see that Paul references himself as a prisoner, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ or a prisoner of something else. Uh, During this Roman imprisonment, when he wrote many of his letters, as he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul was under house arrest. In the day, he was free to move around the house with the supervision of of soldiers, but every night he was chained to a soldier to make sure he did not escape before his trial before Caesar. I mean, the things that he went through was, was pretty, pretty intense. But this is important. He saw himself not as a prisoner of Rome. Who did he see himself as? Prisoner of Jesus Christ. So in a sense, he was indebted to Jesus Christ, not indebted to the Roman government. He knew that Jesus Christ was Lord of his life, not the Roman government. So if he was a prisoner, then he was Jesus' prisoner. But then, notice the verse continues. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, what are the next three words? For you Gentiles. Now this is very important. It's very important to understand the words of Scripture. Um, It doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles. Does it? It says for. Now is there a difference between of and for? Yeah, huge difference, right? If he was saying, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles, what does that mean? Somebody tell me, what does that mean? Yeah, the Gentiles are holding him in captivity. She's a very smart, how old are you? Fifth grade, sixth grade, tenth grade, fourth grade. Okay, whatever. Very good. Smarter than your daddy. Very good. Oh, sorry. (laughs) He's like, yes. (laughs) Good job. 
Yes. So if you're a prisoner of the Gentiles, that means they're holding you into captivity. You're doing things for them. But he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Gentiles. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Gentiles. So what does that mean? Somebody tell me what that means. Marcus? What? He's there for them, yeah? Yeah, he's there in our place for them, yeah. That's basically it. That stinking flies and gnats. Anyway, so we got sidetracked. <laughs> The last thing that Paul wanted was people to feel sorry for him because he was in prison. He wanted his readers to realize that it was a benefit for them that he was a prisoner. He went to preach to the Gentiles. He was there for the Gentiles. And it's, it's almost funny when you think about it because he used to be the one that, before Christ, that he put Gentiles you know, to death and imprisoned them. But now, as a Jew, he's there on their behalf. Not... He's held captive by them, but hey, I'm here for you. Now let's continue on. Verse 2, if ye have heard. Again, Paul was a Jew. He persecuted Gentiles, yet now he's been called out to the Gentile nations. Continue on. Of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. I'm going to talk a little bit more in depth about this in the application a little bit later. But this word... Um, dispensation is the Greek word It's basically how you say it. <laughs> Man, I can't even say it. I said it earlier. I could say it. What? Akuna matata. Yes. What a wonderful phrase. Akuna matata. Ain't no passing craze. It means no worries. That's not what Paul was saying there. Akuna. Whatever. Akunamea. There it is. That's close enough. Akunamea, which is a special set of house rules. So this word dispensation, it's very interesting when you study the Greek in context and, and understand what the Greek was actually meaning to words that we have today. But these are a specific set of guidelines from which God has given Paul, and that's what Paul lives by. That's how he functions in his life. Paul wants them to know that, hey, I'm not just making this stuff up. Everything that I'm sharing with you, it's not just I'm just, you know, shooting from the cuff. I'm sharing it because God has shared it with me. God has revealed it to me. And he says there at the end, the dispensation of the grace of God, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in detail in a few minutes. But he says, which is given to me to you word. Now, if you want to translate that into Texas, that's y'all, which is given to y'all. All right. So that's what Paul is actually trying to say here. But he says you word. So, um, he's given this, this set of guidelines, these set of rules, and he's trying to help them understand. Let's continue on. Verse number three. Uh, how that by revelation he made known unto me, again, he's, God has revealed thanks to him, the mystery, not some eerie, you know, spooky thing, but this sacred secret, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, <clears throat> excuse me, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So, what he's doing here in verses 3 through 4 is making known the mystery. He's making known the mystery. The mystery or sacred secret was previously unknown to the world, but God has now revealed it to Paul and to the Gentiles and to us today. Paul is just God's messenger of the truth. So what's the mystery that's being unlocked? Does anybody know what the mystery that's being unlocked? I've actually just shared it with you a few minutes ago. Mystery of the church? Yeah, what, more specifically. What's the mystery that's being unlocked? Carmen? Christ? Yes, more specifically than that. What? Dispensation? Akuna Matata? No, that's not it. 
the, the, the mystery that he's making known, it goes back to chapter 2. goes back to that, that wall of division. So the mystery that is being known is that Christ, which is, is true, but Christ came to bring peace. Christ came to knock down that wall of division. Christ came to unify both Jew and Gentile. That's what he's trying to make known. Because in chapter 2, it all flows together. He's helping them understand that, hey, it's not just about the Jew being superior to the Gentile. It's not just about the Gentile you know, being segregated. Christ came and died for everyone, for all mankind. Christ has introduced peace to the entire world through Jesus Christ. And Paul is just a messenger to the Gentiles about this peace. There's no more division, or there should be no more division between the Jew and Gentile. Christ came and died for all mankind. He came and died and rose to break down the wall of disunity, to bring about unity and peace. Jews and Gentiles would now be joined together in one body, the body of Christ, if they accepted the gift of salvation. So that's the mystery that's being unlocked, and it goes even deeper than that. But let's continue on, verse number five. Again, we're just quickly going through this so we can make the application. Which in other ages, talking about in time past basically, was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So in previous ages, humans have always operated under the us versus them mentality, which is that principle of rivalry and violence and death. But now we have a new revelation by the Spirit through the prophets and apostles that all of us are one and our struggle is not against each other. But our struggle, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, is against who? Who is our fight? Who is our war against? Not mankind, not brothers and sisters. What? Satan, yeah. Principalities, rulers of the darkness. It's that spiritual wickedness in high places, as we'll get to that in three years when we get to chapter 6. Um, <laughs> hey, if we keep doing nine verses at a time, we might get there in a year. You never know. Uh, but let's continue on. Verse number 6 and 7. That, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. We've been talking about this. Again, uh, all about our position in Christ, chapter 1 and 2, and all about the, um, the, the things that God has given us and, and all that kind of stuff, the riches that we have in Christ as well. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. It's not just the Jews are heirs of God's promises and God's riches. The Gentiles also become fellow heirs. And all of us should be thankful for that because I think every single person in this room is a Gentile. I don't think there's any Jews in this room, and I'm not trying to be, you know, Semitic or anti-Semitic or anything like that. But as a Gentile, as a non-Jew, I'm thankful that God's promises that we are fellow heirs, that we get everything that they get. Everything that Jesus has, we get as well. And that's what he's saying here. Whereof I was, uh, sorry, verse number six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So this describes the mystery itself. The believing Jew and the believing Gentile are joined together in one body, the body of Christ, into the church and no longer separated before God as such. Instead of division and strife and rivalry, rivalry, we are all one family, fellow heirs of God, recipients of the promises. It's the message that Paul has been proclaiming throughout his words and works by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verses 8 through 9. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Now, Paul didn't think of himself as very high, highly. I mean, he's not just, I'm just, you know, the least of all saints. I'm less than the least of all saints. 
is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now this is a great phrase. You should underline that in your Bible. And we'll make reference in just a minute. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So Paul was sent to proclaim these truths to the Gentiles. This fellowship of all people has been God's plan and goal from the very beginning of creation. Not just to have one creed and one race and one group of people that that's my chosen people. No, as I said, I think it was even last week, he chose the Jews to be the light, to give the message to the whole world. But what happened is they didn't do that. They segregated themselves. They separated themselves. And when Jesus came, he broke that wall of division and realized, helped us all realize that the message is for everyone. And there's so much packed in these verses. Again, I could spend weeks on it. And there's so many great truths. But to continue on, let's, let's make an application tonight. I want to take a little step further, going back to verse number one. Let me ask a question tonight. How many know what a dispenser is? A dispenser. What is a dispenser? What? Okay, so give me some examples of dispensers. We got a soap dispenser. What are, David? Pez dispenser. You took my answer. Very good. What else? What are some other dispensers that we have? Violet? What is Minecraft? <laughs> I knew I'd get a reaction from there. <laughs> yes. A napkin dispenser. Yes. Coke machine. Tape dispenser. A water dispenser. What else? What are some other dispensers? Soap dispenser. Fountain drinks. Yes. What? You don't know? Anybody have an M&M dispenser? I used to have one of those. Those things are awesome. What? A machine. You got a what? A jelly, a jelly belly? I used to have an M&M dispenser. Those things are awesome if there's M&Ms in them. Oh, you do? That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> how many have ever had a dispenser not dispense what it was supposed to dispense? Don't you love that when that happens? Yep. You know, especially when you go to the restroom and you wash your hands and you're like, you know, trying to get that last soap out and nothing comes out. That's just annoying. Or... Or when you go and you're trying to dispense something and it just doesn't come out. Now, I want to make an application of, of dispensers. And really, this is what Paul is talking about. Now, he's talking about unlocking the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, and, 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 and he's making it known to us. But I think he even goes a step further. It's almost easy to miss what Paul is trying to get across here. We've been talking about our identity in Christ. And as a Christian, our identity is tied to Jesus and not the world. What matters is how Jesus views us and not how the world views us. In understanding our identity, we need to understand that our identity is staked in grace and through grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It's something that God gives to us that we don't deserve and never could repay. And as His children, we have become recipients of His grace. What does it mean to be a recipient of His grace? What? To receive, yes. So if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian tonight, you have all been a recipient, a receiver of grace. Aren't you thankful for that? I did a series on grace a couple of years ago, and uh, down the road eventually I'll do another series because there's so much on grace that I don't think we can ever really fully comprehend. And that was one of my favorite series that I've done thus far at the church. And 
it's just the Lord taught me so much in and through that series, but I'm so thankful for the grace that Christ offers us. I'm so thankful that Christ has bestowed his grace upon me. But one thing I mentioned in that series, and I'm sure you'd remember those that were here, is that the grace that Jesus offers us is not just meant to be stored up, is it? It's also meant to be passed out, to be released. We're not to be swamps. (laughs) A swamp is something that collects the water and nothing goes out. We're supposed to be, in a sense, a river that's flowing. So when the grace of God comes into our lives, what are we supposed to do with the grace that He's given us? We're supposed to pass it out. We're supposed to let it flow, in a sense. And I think I even preached a message last year, earlier this year, girls, stop, about being conduits. Conduits, which is something that flows in and flows out. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Paul understood where he came from and what God brought him out of. That's something we need to understand too. Where you came from and what God brought you out of. All of us in here have a testimony. And it's very easy to think, well, that person's testimony is greater than mine. But it doesn't really matter about your past. It matters if Christ saved you from your past. That's the most important thing. Because as we've said in this series, you're not tied down to your past. Now, many of us tie us down to our past, but that's who you were before Christ. But who are you now in Christ? That's what this series is all about. Helping us understand that I'm not that person anymore. Aren't you thankful for that? I think all of us should say amen to that. I'm thankful that I am not the person I used to be. I'm now the person that God is telling me I am. And, and all of us, whether we have a horrible past or not, we've all been recipients of the grace of God. And again, the grace that God has given us is never meant to be stored up. It's meant to be passed out. So quickly, here's the application. Verses 1 through 5. Let me read this again. For this cause, for this reason, for this purpose, the, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, to you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you or to y'all, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read that you may understand the knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's the first point. I am a dispenser of grace. This is what Paul is saying. I am a dispenser of grace. So the grace that God has given me, the grace that he has uh, put to me on my behalf, because when you study out this word dispensation of the grace, what this really means is a steward. Paul is saying that I am a manager of everything that God has given to me. So as a manager, as a steward of the grace that God has given to me, he realized that the most important thing he can do is dispense grace. Dispense, which means pass it out. Do what it was meant to do. So here's a good question for us all. Are we dispensing God's grace? Are we truly being a dispenser of God's grace? You know, if you go to that soap machine, that soap dispenser, you expect soap to come out of it. Or if you pull a prank on something, someone else or something else will come out of it. But whatever you go to for that dispenser, you expect that to come out. You know, I love studying Paul's life. Now, I want you to pay attention with me because this is very, very important. It's very good. You know, I I think so often of Paul and everything that he went through, and it's very easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves. You know, I've talked about that in the past several weeks and on Sunday mornings especially. 
It's very easy for us to, to become very uh, self-pitying and, and man, I, my, my, my life is just so horrible and everything is going wrong. It's very easy for me to be like that. But then I start thinking of people in the Bible, and I especially start thinking of the Apostle Paul. Everything that I'm going through pales in comparison to what he's gone through. And everyone in this room, doesn't matter what you've been through, I'm not trying to make light of it, but it pales in comparison to what Paul went through. Has anybody ever been shipwrecked? <laughs> Beaten? Imprisoned falsely? I mean, some of those things may have happened to us, but think of all the things that happened to Paul. Now, if, if even half of these things happened to me, you know what? I probably wouldn't have had the attitude that he had. I'm just being honest. Because I know myself. Now, when things have happened to me, I didn't always respond with grace. I didn't always respond kindly. I, I was feeling sorry for myself, or I lashed out at people. But the amazing thing in studying the Apostle Paul is I never see him doing that. Think of where he is. Where is he at when he's writing this letter? In prison. Now, I haven't been in prison to spend the night or anything like that, but he's not just spending the night, you know, for research or anything like that. He's there. He's shackled with a guard. How can you find joy in that? Now, we can give answers, but you think about that. How can you find joy in a situation like that? All he's doing is preaching the gospel. All he's doing is proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's in jail. <laughs> he's writing this. But one thing that keeps coming across to my mind is that Paul is thankful for this. And that blows my mind when I think about this. He's thankful that God has placed him in here. Not, hey man, I'm, I'm thankful to be in jail. But he's thankful to be in there because he realizes that Everything that God has given to him, he needs to give out to others. And no matter what situation he's in, no matter what hardships he's facing, he realizes that it's an opportunity to spread the gospel, to share his faith, to be a dispenser of grace. And as the thing says, Paul took his hardships as an opportunity to dispense grace to others. Now think about that. That's a powerful thought. Do we take our hardships as an opportunity to dispense grace to other people? To be honest, probably most of us would say no. We'd have to say no. I mean, I, I think of right now, I have, honestly, I have a horrible headache. I have a horrible headache that I've had all day today, and I've been doing better, but even with that or other things that I've gone through, I don't always look at it as an opportunity. Man, how can I dispense grace to people? <laughs> how can I really just help someone else because I feel sorry for myself. And I'm sure if we're honest, we'd probably say the same thing. We, we, do, we do that as well, but it stands out to me. And really, when you see this and when you say this passage, this stands out to you that he took his hardships as an opportunity to dispense grace to other people. And again, as I said earlier, Paul does not say he's a prisoner of the Gentiles. He says he's a prisoner what? For the Gentiles. Paul is not a victim of his circumstances. He's a man on mission in his circumstances. He sees where God put him as an opportunity to glorify God. So look at that. Do you see your opportunity that God has given you as an or do you see where God has put you, God has placed you as an opportunity to glorify God? 
I hope and pray you do. For Paul, it wasn't about him. It was all about Christ. So even though he's in prison, what is he doing? He's still preaching the gospel. (laughs) He's still writing letters to encourage people. Again, it's very easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves. Well, Woe is me, you know, my life is over. This is happening in my life, and this is happening in my life, and I've, I've, this has been taken away from me. Well, we can look at it like that, because trust me, I have, and I do a lot of times. Or we can look at it in realm of Paul, you know what? I might not like this, and I'm going to pray that God will remove it, but he's not going to remove it, so you know what? I'm going to look for an opportunity to dispense grace. So are we looking for an opportunity? In our hardships, in our trials, He became and allowed himself to be a dispenser of grace. It's easy to wallow, isn't it? It's easy to feel sorry for ourselves, but true joy is found in living a life for others. You know, I said the past few weeks that 2019 didn't necessarily go according to my plans, but I've realized that in order to thrive, we have to be equipped. We have to understand how to thrive. This isn't a year to stay where we are. This is a year to help us understand where God wants to move us so that we can go forward in the future. Even in growth, we can take the easy and comfortable way. And I've seen that in my life sometimes, that even as I'm growing and being stretched, I can still take the easy route. And I can make excuses, well, I've, I've been stretched so much in this, so that's about as far as I'm going to stretch myself. But that's not the right mentality. That's not the right attitude. I'm not saying we just stretch ourselves until we break, but... We need to continue to allow God to work in and through us. You know, I'm very thankful for the D6 stuff and the curriculum and, and where I believe it's going to go with the children's ministry and the youth ministry and with the adult ministry. And I've seen, I've seen great growth already as a result in many people's lives and the teachers as, as I've heard conversation and those that are part of that band group. I've, I've been a great, it's, it's been great to just read it and, and, and study it out. But there's also some flaws that I've seen. And I don't want to talk about the flaws tonight. But there's some flaws that I've seen, and I, I talked with the staff a little bit about this past couple of days, and, and I realized that if I don't fix them, or if we don't try to fix them, then we're just going to go backwards. Now, these are things that could easily fix themselves. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say this in a negative way that, oh, it's just going bad. It's not going bad, but there are some things that could easily turn in a bad direction. And here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make with this, that it's not just to have a class so we can man we're all together and we're all a a big family and let's get comfortable because it's very easy to get comfortable, isn't it? We're all in the same class together and we're, we're sharing our burdens and that's great. Don't get me wrong. That's part of it. But discipleship is not just, let's all sit in the class. Let's all talk about our problems. That's not true discipleship. You know what true discipleship is? It's taking what you've learned and then go and teach it to someone else. So that's what I'm saying. That's one of the flaws that I could potentially see. Now, I don't necessarily think that we're on that path, But I could see that because it could be very easy for us to just, I just want to come and soak it all up and absorb, absorb, absorb. But what are we doing? What are we sharing? What are we dispensing? When you study God's Word, and and I I got this from another pastor, I think it was back in January, talking about discipleship and ministry. When, When Jesus first started out with His disciples, it's a pretty amazing thing. What happened was Jesus taught and the disciples watched. And then... Jesus taught, and the disciples helped. Then the disciples taught, and Jesus helped. And finally, the disciples taught, and Jesus watched. And really, when you look at it, that's how it should be. 
that it's that, that cycle to where it's not just we teach and you watch. <laughs> we teach and you watch. We teach, you watch, and then we teach, you help. And then you teach, we help. And then you teach and we watch to see what you're doing. Does that make sense? And that's what I want us to do, to truly be a dispenser of grace. So let that sink in for a moment when it comes to your trials and circumstances, that you're the recipient of his riches. So look at your circumstances, whatever circumstance you're going through. Look at your circumstances as God designed to fulfill his purpose so we can be partakers of his grace and then turn them to dispense grace. One of my favorite quotes from the grace series is this, grace extends to others what God has extended to you. I love that. Grace extends to others what God has extended to you. So think about it. What has God extended to you? Grace. And think really in your life, I mean, yeah, forgiveness, and we can talk about everything that we talked about in chapter one and chapter two. What has God extended to you? So what are you extending to others? So again, this series is not just, man, that's a great series. I love it. You know, I love, I love studying God's word. What are you doing with that? We're going to look more deeper into that aspect of it next year as we truly try to make an impact in our community, not just here, but globally as well. We can't just take everything that we learned and, man, that's great. We have to take it and teach someone else. That's true discipleship. But again, we're to be a dispenser of His grace. Do we see how all-encompassing and how far-reaching our Christian faith must be? Secondly, quickly, these last two points will go very quick. Not only are we supposed to be a dispenser of grace, but we are empowered by grace. We are empowered by grace. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me in the effectual working of his power. The mystery not only gives the believing Gentiles a new relationship, it also reveals that there is a new power available to him. The power that we have is the power in Christ, the power through Christ. The word working here is energia. It's where we get our word energy. The word power is dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite or dynamic. Paul has already told us about his mighty power in Ephesians chapter 1. And the power that he had is the same power that we can have as Christians. So what Paul is saying here is, I am empowered by Christ to preach the gospel. If God has saved you, you have the same power that Paul had. So he has empowered you to be a dispenser of his grace. I don't have to work to maintain God's love for me. I don't have to keep Him happy. This is a grace relationship. The gospel will inevitably compel me to serve. If you don't want to serve Jesus, first and foremost, we need to look at the cross (laughs) to see what the cross means and realize whether we're saved or not. Because if we don't want to serve Him, maybe it's because we're not truly saved or we're not looking back to the cross to realize what He's done for us and realize that the life I have is not my own. And I need to do everything I can to give it back to Him. And I fully understand that as we get older, there's certain things we can do, certain things we can't do. But I'm thankful for those that are older that can pray. And all of us can pray, but I'm thankful for those prayer warriors that that I've known in my life. And sometimes you get older in, in life and your health fails and can't do as much, but you can still pray. And prayer is very powerful. It's more than we think, more than we realize. But we all struggle realizing that God can use us. 
God isn't looking for your strengths. Did you know that? He's attracted to your weakness. The weaker that you are, the more able God is to be glorified through your weakness. And that's what Paul is saying. For this cause, for this reason, I've been gifted of ministry to serve, to give back to Jesus because he's given me so much more. I've been gifted by grace, enabled by grace, empowered by grace. And finally, lastly, verses 8 and 9. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches in Christ and to make all men see that is the fellowship of the mystery. From the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Finally, I am lavished by grace. The unsearchable riches of Christ, that, that means unfathomable. We can translate this word even deeper to the untraceable, which means you can't even discover the end. So that's what I mean by the lavished. We are lavished by grace. Paul tried to figure out the greatness of God's grace and started tracking it out as one might track out the shore of a lake. But he soon discovered that it wasn't a lake at all, but an ocean, an immeasurable sea. God's riches are unsearchable. We'll never know them completely. C.H. Spurgeon once said, I am bold to tell you that my master's rich of gra- or riches of grace are so unsearchable that he delights to forgive and forget enormous sin. The bigger the sin, the more glory to his grace. If you are overhead and ears in debt, he is rich enough to discharge your liabilities. If you are at the very gates of hell, he is able to pluck you from the jaws of destruction. We get the privilege of going and sharing the infinite riches of Christ. We get to go and help other men and women be lavished in grace. Think about that. And that's what Paul is saying here. I am a dispenser of grace. I am empowered by grace. I am lavish by grace. You know, I asked what kind of dispensers we have earlier, and, and David stole my thunder. It's okay. Talked about his Pez dispenser, and I brought my Pez dispenser tonight. Buzz Lightyear. Don't you love these things? It's a new one. You know, it's funny sometimes to think about it. You know, sometimes, you know, we jerk the head back, you know, forth and just try to get the candy. You want one? I think, it's, I think it's good. There you go. You know, we jerk it back and forth. And I think sometimes in our lives, you know, it feels like our life is just being jerked back and forth. But the point I'm trying to make is, what are we dispensing? We're supposed to be a dispenser of His grace. So imagine the Pez as, as His grace. Are we dispensing it to other people? 